Episode 28 starts now. Welcome to ShareMo EDU. We are a team of two Missouri lead learners sharing stories across the state and beyond through the lens of education. I'm Dr. Renee Hawkins, elementary principal at Maple Elementary School in Smithville, Missouri. And I'm Dr. Eric Carlin, elementary assistant principal at Maple Elementary in Smithville, Missouri. This week's guest, Dr. Jenny Donahue, is a three-time best-selling author. Her books address the topics of collaborative inquiry and collective efficacy. Jenny has over 20 years experience in leading school change. We are excited to have Jenny share her expertise and message about Better Together on the podcast today. Welcome, Jenny. Thank you. All right, Jenny, help us to get to know you and tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I started my career in education about 20 years ago as a classroom teacher, and I loved teaching in the classroom. I loved kids, and I taught most of my time in grades 7 and 8. And then there was a posting at the district office for new teacher induction support. And my husband, who's also an educator, encouraged me to apply for that. And um, so I began my new career as a um, supporter of teachers. And I've spent the last 15 years um, really supporting high-quality professional learning in districts across Ontario. Um, and I'm also an author and consultant, independent consultant. Very cool. Hey, Jenny, what is your hashtag for education? And what does this hashtag mean to you? How do you honor those words? Well, my hashtag for education is collective efficacy. And collective efficacy is really about the power um, that educators have to influence student learning when they share the belief that they can make a difference in the lives of students. Um, and that really collective efficacy impacts how teams think, feel, motivate themselves, and behave. And it results in a lot of productive patterns of behavior on the part of the adults in the building. And also um, really affects the implementation of high leverage strategies. So how do I um, honor that? I think it's really about empowering teachers because teachers are the ones who have the ability to influence school improvement in ways that nobody else does. Um, they have the ability to change um, and impact students. And so it's, it's a lot around um, honoring it through ensuring that professional learning is designed by and with teachers, that they have a voice and that, um, you know, it's meaningful and relevant and that um, they select what it is they want to learn about based on the students that they're serving and, and some of the challenges that they might be faced with rather than somebody else determining what it is they need to know and be able to do. And I believe that by really empowering teachers to take that active role in school improvement, that um, it will build efficacy. So I got to hear you speak earlier this summer and the collective efficacy piece really fits what we're trying to do here in Smithville. So we are renovating our elementary and coming together with new staff. I kind of told you a little bit about our story um, but our, our professional development goal next year for teachers is to build that collaborative team, you know, a new school family, but then even the smaller grade level teams. And so we know the collective efficacy piece is really powerful in pushing students forward. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. And it was great meeting you and talking with you about your new school. I'm just yes. what you're going to do. Well, speaking of collective eff efficacy, you have a book, uh, and would you share a message? Um, I know you have three, but, um, share a message from that book on collective e efficacy and uh, that would cause our listeners to take action. Um, absolutely. So I think that the biggest message in the book that would 
cause people to take action is the fact that um, what happens when efficacy is lacking and when a group doesn't feel a sense um, in their combined ability to influence student learning, they tend to put forth less effort, um, they have lower expectations for students, and kids struggle as a result of that because when teachers lack a sense of efficacy, it influences students' sense of efficacy. Um, however, on the flip side, when, when people have a sense of belief in their combined ability, um, that too helps to um, change students' ideas about their capability and student efficacy tends to thrive in places where teacher efficacy is strong. So I think if we think about an important message, it's how our beliefs influence student learning and when we don't have efficacy that it really impacts students in ways that um, affect their futures. Wow. That's, <laughs> there's so much there. It's, that's so awesome. What a great message. Thanks. It's something I've been thinking a lot about, um, you know, in my career in education and, and it's just so important. And, you know, it, we know that based on the visible learning research and Professor Hattie's work that it has a very high effect size and it's um, currently ranked at the number one position in the visible learning body of research. So it's something that I think is really important that we pay attention to. Right. I always hear principals say, or or even my own uh, mindset is trying to eliminate as many things as we can for teachers and get the little things or logistics out of the way so they can just focus on teaching. But it's kind of that, um, you know, mindset or, or allowing teachers to uh, have the belief that they can do it. Um, and then what that spills over to students. And um, I think there's such a connection there on student voice, teacher voice, and, and just everything wrapped into one. Okay, Jenny, reflect on these statements. Right now, one thing that is going well for me is, and I want to grow by... Okay, um, one thing that's currently going well for me is that I am deep into the process of writing a fourth book. Very excited about it. Um, I have a co-author who's Dr. Stephen Katz, who's out of the um, Ontario Institute of Studies in Education. It's a great collaboration. And I've thought about this idea and why it's going well for me. I guess part of it is that I just love the challenge of digging into the research, um, trying to make sense of it for myself, and then trying to make sense of it in a way that I can articulate it so that it's practical and useful for people in the field. And so the follow-up book is really a deeper look at um, how beliefs, um, efficacy beliefs, can either support or hinder quality implementation in schools. And it's a different angle than what, what I had in the, the, the third book, which was the collective efficacy book. Um, so it's that, just that idea of digging into the challenge of writing as a form of professional learning. Um, and writing about our practice as educators is a critical piece for me um, over the last few years and really thinking about why it is that we do what we do. Um, so that's that's um, what's going well for me. And then the other sentence, Sam, that I think you gave me was, um, I want to grow by. Yes. And I want to grow by continuing to read and write, but really where I think a lot of my learning comes from is my work in the field. And when I get to sit down, I have the richest learning experiences when I'm with teams of teachers, um, when I'm with administrators and where we're working through a process where people are identifying some of the challenges that are keeping them up at night 
and together solving their problems. Um, because again, the expertise is there um, amongst the team members. We, we bring with us different experiences, different um, knowledge and capabilities. And I, I love it when we're sitting at a table and people are um, growing and learning together as a result of the, the joint work. There's so, so much power in that collaboration. I think, um, is one of your books Collaborative Inquiry? It is. And so that's described. And that was the, the early work that I was doing in the field was, again, focused on high quality professional learning. When I started um, at the district level, a lot of the PD professional development that we delivered um, was top down and ballroom approach where we would determine the topic. And I just found it didn't have a lot of impact and teachers would comply, but, um, you know, very little transferred over to practice. But when we started utilizing an inquiry process, process which is a cycle where teachers are um, determining what it is they need to know and be able to do, the um, transfer to practice and the uptake and the empowering uh, piece where people were um, just feeling valued and, and that their voices mattered. And so that was a lot of the early work. And then the collective efficacy, um, really, I think that the two work very well together because the inquiry process is a collaborative process that builds efficacy. Hmm. Hey, what three words would you use to describe the person who has made the greatest impact on your life and why do those words come to mind? Um, so the person who has had the greatest impact in my life, I'd have to say number one is my husband. And the words I would use to describe him, and I, I write about this, I think, just in the dedication in my books in a similar way. Um, three words are supportive, encouraging, and selfless. And he just uh, supports me in every way to be able to do this work. Um, and without him, a lot of this, maybe none of this would be possible. That's great. And he's a fellow educator too. He is. He's uh, spent most of his career teaching special education students and he's really good at what he does. And I'm really proud of him too. Well, you also have a fixer-upper story that you talked about. <laughs> Happening, it's starting to. I'm having a bit of a delay. Okay. I, I mentioned your fixer-upper story. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. probably the biggest supporter there, too, right? Absolutely, <laughs> yes. He's very handy. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. What has been a game-changing moment for you in the field of education? Well, I was thinking, just to, to continue along this line of, of efficacy, I had an experience a few years ago um, where I was asked to come into a district and support school teams in a couple of high schools where their um, test scores, their standardized test scores, were showing that they weren't making a lot of improvements in the area of um, adolescent literacy. And I was new in the position. and. A little bit, you know, feeling a little bit nervous and, and stressed about what this could look like um, and how receptive teachers would be. Um, and that it didn't want to per it, anyone to perceive it as that this was a top down approach, but that I was there in a supportive role. And I remember going into the first high school um, and sitting with a team of teachers and administrators around the table. And there was energy in the room, there was excitement, and they were digging in to identify what had worked in the past for them, um, what interventions that they could capitalize on and put in place, where they needed to strengthen things from the previous year. Um, they were so dynamic as a team, just feeding on each other's ideas and energy 
and determining um, as a group, they had a professional learning day coming up. They were determining what it is that they wanted to spread amongst their colleagues. And of course, we know that colleagues are more likely to listen to the person that's in the classroom next to them than they are to somebody coming in from the outside. So um, there was a really uh, positive experience at the first high school. Um, and then driving down the street to a high school just down the road that were faced with similar challenges, uh, very similar demographics, uh, low socioeconomic status, a lot of um, English language learners, um, students coming from single parent households, same demographics as the school I had previously left, um, you know, the meeting. And the atmosphere walking into this second high school was very different. Uh, you could cut attention with a knife in the room. Um, I think of that uh, Shannon Moran talks about the emotional tone in an organization and there was definitely a huge contrast between these two places. And um, the teachers were reluctantly there and um, talking about everything they had tried. And at one point somebody stood up, um, was the English department head, crossed his arms, read in the face and said, um, we've done everything we can. There is nothing left we can do for these kids. Um, so when you talk about a defining moment in education, I remember leaving that meeting and I had a long drive home and I couldn't get those words out of my head because I kept thinking um, that what does that mean for not only these educators but for the, the kids in that, that school. And by feeling that uh, sense of, um, you know, that there wasn't anything that they could do that, you know, I wanted to, I guess, instill in them a message and more than a message, a, a feeling that they, they do have the ability and that what they do really matters. Um, so that not only would they feel a sense of greater job satisfaction, but that it would result in actions. Um, because when people um, resign that there's nothing they can do, then, of course, that's going to be reflected in their their day to day actions as well. So. That was a few years ago, and um, right around that time, I started researching the, the, the literature on collective efficacy, and it has a long, it's not a new notion, and it's got quite a research base, um, you know, very robust research base that shows that, that the belief in what we do really matters over and above um, the communities that kids come from or or um, other outs factors that are outside our control that we can actually control a lot um, as teachers. And so I've um, been thinking a lot more deeply about what that is in the last few years. And that's where a lot of my work has uh, focused on. What a challenging position to go into buildings where people believe there's no hope and, and help people find that sense of hope. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure the research helps with that. You know, it does. And it's interesting. I read a book a few years ago. It's probably, I could probably grab off my shelf behind me. It was uh, Howard Gardner's, and it was called uh, Changing Minds. And so Howard Gardner's the uh, um, multiple intelligence. People know him from, from that work. And he um, outlines seven different ways you can change people's minds. And the, they all start with an R. One of them was research, and one of his points in the book is it's good to know all these different ways because no, research doesn't convince everybody, you know. Um, so it helps, um, and it's, you know, I think that we need to look at it with a critical lens, um, but it's definitely when I, when I do look at the body of research around collective efficacy, 
Uh, we have 40 years worth of studies, not one, but multiple studies that show that um, where that belief is, is firmly established in schools, it uh, makes a difference over and above any other influence, including socioeconomic status, prior achievement, um, you know, level of parental involvement, and even uh, students' own motivation that if teachers have a sense of efficacy, they can impact student learning. And so it's something I think we need to pay attention to, as I said earlier. I absolutely Ooh, love it. Well, if your cup is not full, you cannot fill the cup of others. So cheers. You. <laughs> cheers. How do you promote self-care? Uh, self-care, that's, uh, it's, the balance is difficult, I'll have to admit. Um, so when I think about this, with the weather being a little bit nicer out, uh, just trying to get the walks in with the puppies whenever I can, you know, so that uh, idea of exercise. Um, but also just making sure that um, you have healthy relationships in your life, you know, and talking with people about the issues that you're you're dealing with. So I think it's, it's mostly for me, self-care is around healthy relationships and open communication. Good answer. We hear lots of exercise, but healthy relationships are really important too. Yeah. Okay, with the start of the new school year, we are promoting hashtag all in August this month. What is one focus you have for the 1819 school year and how are you going all in? Um, I love that phrase, all in. And so again, I, I, on our theme that I've kind of been centering around this idea of collective efficacy, um, we know that in schools there's conditions that we can uh, enable that will help foster efficacy. So helping um, leaders, um, teacher leaders, formal leaders, really um, put those conditions in place so that we can realize um, the you know the potential of, of efficacy and and just help people, help students. So I'm all in about continuing to create conditions in schools where we empower teachers where um, leaders are responsive to uh, protect, you know, um, teachers' time to focus on issues that, that really matter and, and protecting them from those um, things that divert our time and energy away from student learning and also ensuring that they have the resources they need, um, you know, conditions around uh, building consensus on goals so that teachers have a voice in school improvement goals and when you have a voice and goals and you're, you have some um, opportunity to help shape them, then you know, you, you're more likely to be motivated to help uh, attain those goals. So I guess just thinking deep, deeply about how we can um, enable those conditions so that we can see collective advocacy realize its potential. I love how you, you brought up a few times, but it seems like that idea of getting back to what do we need or what goals do we have as a building or as a district, you know, and really diving deep into, you know, your situation or whatever, um, you know, things are going against that and, and kind of what, what does the data show or what, what are we um, experiencing, but then really tackling those and being strategic. Um, it just, make, it sounds like it, it makes it so much more um, impactful, just kind of like the personalized PD that you were mentioning that the top-down approach is not effective and um, when we have choice or voice and it really meets the needs of what we are looking for, you know, the buy-ins there and the efficacy as we've talked about. So, mm -hmm. 
Okay, we've come to the moment in this interview where it's time to share your fast five. Okay. We're going to fire five questions at you. We want you to answer with the first thought that comes to mind. Okay, I hope I can play the game. <laughs> There's no wrong no, answers. Nobody's failed yet. Nobody's failed yet. I Give feel like I'm on a radio show in the morning. And <laughs> okay, let's let's do it. <laughs> All right. Here we go, Renee. Fire away. Question one. Would you rather have a re rewind button or a pause button on your life? A rewind button for sure, because my husband and I often have different recollections of conversations. <laughs> And recently, I just said, I wish we could rewind every day to see how this really went. That is so funny. That is funny. Would you rather go deep sea diving or bungee jumping? Neither. I am not very um, adventurous when it comes to the water, and I am afraid of heights. So I have to say I'm not going to do either one of those things. <laughs> what do you want to be when you grow up? I would love to be a forensic scientist because I am addicted to the forensic television shows. And I often wonder if, I hate to say this, but if I had had um, better teachers, I might have gone into the science and maths. But I was uh, shut away from those because I was led to believe that that was something I wasn't capable of doing, unfortunately. Who is one person you will collaborate with to go all in this month? Um, I'd have to say the co-author of the fourth book, Stephen Katz. It's been an excellent collaboration so far. Um, and uh, the book is shaping up as a result of it. Awesome. All right, last question. Would you rather make a phone call or send a text? I have to say send a text, but my husband, he's listening in the background. He'd say make a phone call. Um, <laughs> yeah, the texting works for me. Okay. All right. Thank you so much, Jenny. And we've uh, so much enjoyed uh, all the different um, aspects that you're bringing uh, to the education field and, and changing the game of self-efficacy and, and collaborative teams. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to share that um, you want to share with our listeners or, or any last statements? Just uh, I'd like to thank you both for having me on today. Um, I love this idea of what you do here with your podcast and what a great um, way to help, um, I guess, get messages to people. So thank you for having me as a guest today. Well, thank you. Thank you. All right. Tune in next week to learn more as we share. Thank you. Jenny, thank thanks. You.